Engaging Leader Podcast, episode 102, Storytelling for Leaders, featuring Amanda Marco. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Storytelling is an effective leadership tool for change management, engagement, and bringing the business strategy to life. Now, we discussed this tool back in episode 52, how to use stories to engage people. Today, we'll dig deeper with the help of someone who's been teaching the art and science of storytelling to leaders from across the U.S., Amanda Marco is President and Chief Connection Officer of Connected Strategy Group, which helps leaders communicate their business strategy and engage stakeholders during times of change. Amanda is only one of a handful of people globally and actually the first person in the U.S. licensed to deliver Storytelling for Leaders, a program that teaches business leaders a proven method for creating messages that resonate, build engagement, and drive change. Amanda Marco, welcome to Engaging Leader. Hi, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Amanda, you primarily teach storytelling for leaders as a means of implementing change uh, or managing change. Do you find that the change fatigue is a big problem that leaders are up against? Absolutely. It just seems like any more that any every organization is in a constant state of change. And so the leaders are the ones who have to implement and start the change from the top. And they're struggling because it's coming at them so fast and hard. Meanwhile, the employees are always playing catch up and they're forced to then understand what the change is, how it's happening, and also what it means for them in their job. And it almost feels like too often, as soon as they get used to one way of doing something or one operating plan or even one strategy, another one is coming at them. And so the leaders are frustrated by that situation because they're the ones that are are out in front of it. And the employees are frustrated because they oftentimes just feel like they don't know what to do. Or they feel like if I just wait this out, something else (laughs) is going to come along. Right. (laughs) So probably if I can just hold on to my job, um, tomorrow it'll be different anyway. And I I won't have to actually go through um, and implement this change at all. Now, when you first bring up the idea of storytelling as a key tool to helping guide through that change, do you still these days bump into a lot of skepticism? Absolutely, because although storytelling is a quite a buzzword these days, and there is even scientific proof that storytelling is the most effective way to, to open people's minds and communicate a message, at the same time in business, people feel like it's a soft skill. And when they hear the word story, they think that you're going to tell me something that's not true. Mm. You're going to tell me something that is um, that's maybe like a, a legend or something that there has to be a hero involved. And a lot of times in business, there is no hero. So <laughs> you can't just tell stories that have heroes in them. And the idea of it makes many leaders uncomfortable and feel like this is a vulnerability that they're going to have to reveal. Because with a story, you have to have emotion. <laughs> That's an important part of a, what a story is. And so the, the leader um, is worried, I think, that, that there's that, that potential revelation or, or something personal that could come out in the story. But as it turns out, 
that actually helps them connect with the employees if they reveal a little truth about themselves um, and even their personal lives. And so the story opens doors. It doesn't close doors. It doesn't shut people off to you. Well, you have to realize that employees are going to react on some sort of emotional level, whether you like it or not. And so you can either use that to your advantage or not. We, we just had a client that we've been working with that was implementing a change that was clearly in the best interest of both employees and the company. And yet it would be easy to see how people would take it out in the wrong context, in the wrong light, and view it as bad news, as the company trying to control them. And so we just had a frank conversation with the client and said, this is an emotional issue and you're not going to confront it with logic and facts. You need to confront it right up front with story. And so let's use, let's get emotion going in the right direction from the beginning instead of pretending like it's not going to exist. That's absolutely true, Jesse, because the, the fact is that people don't change their mind because of facts. So if the company has all the facts in their favor, it's not enough to get the employees to believe what you're trying to tell them. The employees are already holding a story in their heart. They already have a belief system in place. And if you throw facts at that belief system, you're basically just pushing up against it. Facts are a push strategy. Meanwhile, stories are a pull strategy. Hmm. They pull at the heartstrings. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got um, if you've got a good story, now of course the story has to be grounded in fact. It has to be it has to be um, backed up by fact. But if you've got the facts in your favor and you can put a story around it, that's where you can change people's mind. I think that there's kind of a progression that goes when you look at just facts. If people hear a surprising fact, like if you hear that um, the number of water bottles, plastic water bottles that we use in the United States and throw away each year could wrap around the, the world however many times, mm-hmm. right? We've heard a statistic like that before. It's surprising and it's shocking and you can visualize it and you have an emotional reaction in that moment to, to, to that information. But at the same time, even though you're impressed by it and you might even go tell a friend shortly thereafter hearing that statistic, what you don't have is a changed worldview. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you decide to not use a plastic water bottle next time you have the chance. Because what happens is the emotion fades away, that shock or disgust that you had initially, and you forget the fact. I've heard this fact before, and just now I couldn't recall how many times those plastic yeah. bottles are off around the world. It's some dramatic number, <laughs> and, it's, it, and it's horrible, and we should all be motivated to do something. But the fact alone doesn't get us to change our the way we behave. And that's what we want in business. If we're get, passing along this information, if we're, if we're instituting a change, what we really want to change is behaviors. So yes, we have to change people's minds. Yes, we have to change our hearts. We have to change. But at the end, it's really the action that we want to change. Well, I like the way you said that, that facts are a push strategy, stories are a pull strategy. Does that mean that facts don't really come into play? Or if so, how do you use facts? Absolutely have to use facts because you can't have a story. You can't be telling a story that isn't grounded in fact. That's that's one of the reasons people have a problem with storytelling in general. They think that it's potentially inauthentic or that it's fanciful. So you're, you start with the facts and you have to tell a story that has both facts and emotion backing it up. So you, when you bring those two together, that's the power of a really surprising story that then People are influenced by it. And then they also remember it. People remember the emotion, right? I remember the emotion of the fact that the water bottles wrap around the world. I remember being surprised and disgusted, but I don't remember 
what the exact information was, but a story you can remember because the emotion it comes into play um, in the facts. So then you're influenced by it and that makes you change your worldview. Now suddenly you're thinking about things in a different way than you did before and you're now motivated to act. So the motivation comes in and the action comes in, which never come in, at least in the long term, with a fact, a fact alone. So you have to have your um, your your facts in your favor. When I um, was working with a global company, we had a perception problem that HR was concerned about. And the perception problem was that the employees felt like they didn't have enough opportunity to get promotions and move around into different jobs in the company. And um, they felt like a lot of hires were coming in from the outside. Mm. And we looked at the information because that was my first thing. I said, well, what, what's really happening here? So I made sure that we went back and looked and how many employees were getting hired from the outside? How many employees had the opportunity to move around laterally within the company and have different challenges and opportunities? And it turns out there were quite a lot. There were many, but the employees didn't feel that way. So if I had just gone out there and, and, and said, well, in the last quarter, we've had um, this many employees who have been promoted from within, this many employees who have taken on new opportunities and challenges within, nobody's mind still would have been changed. What we wanted to do is get them talking about the opportunities available. So pushing those um, those out um, wasn't enough, just telling them that that information uh, – telling them that that was happening. What we had to do was pull up their heartstrings and tell them about their colleagues who were getting these incredible opportunities. So when we put specific names and examples and people, um, the real true stories, but mm-hmm. things bringing them out to the high, out to the front to highlight them, um, made people suddenly aware much more than a statistic ever could have. And so that perception started to change only when people realized, Oh, Oh, I, I remember Carla. She and I used to work together. I didn't know she had changed jobs. You know, that, that sounds like an incredible opportunity for her. And so we brought those out front and we're able to, to start changing the minds. So is it that when you use stories to pull them in and connect emotionally with them, then you can create the mind switch, if you will, so that they're more open. And then if if you want to say, oh, and by the way, X percent of our hires have been happening internally, Mm -hmm. then they have that in the proper, they can digest that, those facts within the proper framework and, and emotional acceptance. Yeah, so you've put a new framework in place, created that new context, and as their worldview shifts, then they're able to um, accept that information. So it's just like anything. When you hear, when you learn a new word, a new vocabulary word, and then you hear it all the time, mm-hmm. right? Or you, um, you know, you make a new friend, and then suddenly you're running into that person at the gym and all these places that you never knew that you that you connected before. So it's that aware. Once that awareness is is suddenly um, had, then it it, much, it becomes much easier to reinforce that information. But you have to open their heart with the story. The fact doesn't open anybody's heart. <laughs> when you're faced with that impression that a lot of executives have that stories are a soft skill, what are some of the things that you tell them to? Uh, open their minds to this tool? Well, like I said, there is the scientific proof um, that storytelling works. There's um, experiments that have been done where you put two people into an MRI machine, into MRI machines, and one of them is telling a story, the other one's listening to the story. And as it turns out, their brain's activity starts to match up. So the person telling the story and recalling and basically reliving the memory is activating parts of their brain that the person listening to also is activating. And that idea too of the brain kind of waking up and being lit up on an MRI 
shows that the person's more engaged and understand mm. and has a deeper level of understanding and also memory. The, um, the cortex, the different parts of the brain that are activated during uh, storytelling include your um, Broca and Wernick areas. And those are the parts of the brain where you're taking in information and turning um, words that you hear into ideas and to your head, and then also taking ideas in your head and turn, making your mouth move so that the words come out of your mouth and um, are verbalized. So just in speaking facts and talking bullet points, that's all that's happening. But when I tell you a story and I use uh, vivid language, if I talk about catching a ball, um, that part of my brain and that part of your brain, if I was actually lifting my hand up to catch a ball, get activated. If I talk about something feeling as soft as velvet, that part of my brain is feeling it. So your sensory cortex is your frontal lobe. Um, these other parts of the brain are waking up. And so if you imagine an MRI we've all seen and, and it's lit up in colors, your whole brain gets lit up. And so your brain is more awake. And therefore, since we all need kind of different pathways to understanding things, there's more opportunities for you to be, be able to understand the information. Whereas if it's just a fact, um, you might misunderstand it or you might, it might not resonate with you enough because it's not enough of your brain isn't being used. So when you've got um, your whole brain awake, there's much more opportunity for the memory part to happen. And that's what we want is people to remember. The frontal cortex also is associated with, um, with dopamine production. And as it turns out, when that dopamine gets produced, which happens when in an emotional event, in fact, you have an increased ability to remember. Dopamine production is associated with memory. So leaders want people to remember their messages and they want to not have to say the same thing a million times. So maybe if they only have to say it 900,000 times uh, because they told it with a story, at least they're, at least they're making some progress. What you just mentioned about vivid language and how that um, makes such a big difference in, in helping people understand the story, connect with the story and remember the story. It just um, hit me as a clear example of that. The story that you just told about the employees feeling like they didn't have enough opportunities to get promotions. You provided enough details of that to really understand the situation and the culture. And you just listening to that, I, I had the sense for what those employees must be feeling like. And contrast to that with the story that I told earlier that I bet most of our listeners have already forgotten about, um, in which we were help, helping our clients make an emotional connection with the change that they had implemented. I didn't provide any details. And mm -hmm. so providing whether, whether you feel like you're a, an effective story, you know, a master storyteller with all these adjectives and, you know, vivid language is, is helpful, but at least get down into the details so people mm -hmm. can get a sense for what um, is actually happening and what people are thinking and feeling. Uh, it, it is huge. Absolutely. You have to have a certain level of specificity and it's a careful balance because in business, time is always precious and you don't want to be that person who's rambling on in the meeting and everybody's wondering where you're going with this. Why, why, why is she telling us this? So the way to tell a proper business story is um, to start out by kind of giving that introductory statement about why you're telling the story. <laughs> and um, and also not use the word story, because like we talked about earlier, people are turned off, especially in business by story, although we all have a positive physical reaction and a positive emotional reaction to stories. If you tell somebody in business that you're going to tell them a story, it might turn them off. So just don't even say, I'm about to tell you a story, because then <laughs> imagine themselves 
cuddling up and coming around and, <laughs> and, and listening. So that's not what we're doing in business. So we don't say you're telling a story, but you also want to at least start off by providing some context about what you're about to tell them, why you're telling them it. Then you start off with your story and people know that you're telling them a story oftentimes because you give a, a time or a place marker. So if you say last week, or um, if you say, uh, when, I, when I worked for a company in Europe, or you give them some kind of a stamp to lay it down, people pick up on that. They know right away that you're about to tell them a story, and now they're listening. Now their ears are perked. So you start off with that time, place marker, time or place marker, and then you have a series of events. Some things happened, um, and, and you want um, that causal relationship, and it's not just things happened in a specific order. It's, why, it's how they interacted with each other. So you don't always necessarily tell it in an in a, in a order, one, two, three, but you tell it in, the, uh, in relation to each other. And then the next piece that you have is you have to have people. So that might have been what your story was missing. You kind of did the generality of that the, the, that you talked to your client, mm-hmm. but I have no idea if your client <laughs> was the CEO or if it was the whole entire HR team. So you know who who are who are we talking about here, and how do we know that we're talking about um, that there's people in our story? How do you do that? Do you think? We're usually with names. Names and also dialogue. So anytime if you say somebody told you something. That automatically is a story. If, if I just tell you one thing that somebody told me, that in itself, one sentence can be a story. So that dialogue is that dialogue and or that name are really important. And when you use a name, it um, conjures an image. Right or wrong, it conjures an image. And so even if it's wrong, sometimes in these kinds of stories, it doesn't matter that it's conjuring the wrong image because um, it, it at least gives somebody an anchor. You know, if they know somebody with that same name, it gives them an anchor to remember the story. And then finally, um, you have to have or the, the other thing is you have to have a, a, a surprise, a point, you know, uh, something that happened that was somewhat unexpected. Um, and then then you wrap that whole that whole story up with your point. So that kind of point that you started to make at the beginning, you come back to it at the end and you reiterate why you're telling the story and what it should mean for everybody. But um, the story in itself is going to have different meanings for people. And you can't just um, completely insert your own interpretation of that story into everybody else's mind. The power of the story is that people have some freedom to interpret it themselves. And sometimes you can use the same story in different circumstances to mean different things, depending on what message you're trying to get across. So what you want to do is, make your point that you're trying to make and reiterate that point, but not go through and dissect the entire story and make it so obvious to people that they've now lost their ability to, to interpret the story. So if I could just reiterate that a little bit, you start out by almost partially making the point, you're going to set the context or anchor the story. So they have some idea of what the, why you're telling the story. Why you're going there. And, um, this, I just think, I think to the difference that, um, and I'm going to sound a bit sexist here, but there's research on the difference between genders that on average, um, men tend to be very direct and just say their point, And women tend to um, storytell and what I've been <laughs> told is more of a spider webbing fashion. Um, you know, I was on the way to the store yesterday and I ran into to Susan. And by the way, we need to, uh, she reminded me, we need to take care of... Uh, 
of picking up the lawnmower tomorrow. Um, and so depending on who you're talking to, that can be very frustrating. If you're with right. your girlfriends, that's kind of fun. But if you're in a business setting, a lot of times you just need to get right. to the point quicker. So start out by setting the context with some kind of anchor, at least partially make the point. You don't, don't want to give the whole thing away up front. Uh, then you trigger the, the idea that it's a story, not by saying I'm going to tell you a story, but by saying last week or some kind of time or uh, time uh, marker. Then you discuss the sequence. Uh, then there, you get into the sequence of events, and you want to make sure that you get into talking about people and me- mm-hmm. maybe mentioning their names. And that's a point we sometimes glaze over because yeah. we're, we're trying to hurry through. Yeah. But if you just just use a name or, or, or give a quote, that's that's enough to really give it that richness. But it's that's oftentimes that we just skip, especially in business. Yeah. So you you need to at least get into some dialogue to let. So, so you connect with what people are thinking and feeling. That makes it human and real. Mm-hmm. And then have some kind of surprise to it, some kind of unexpected point, which is, for example, in your story earlier, people discovered, oh, I didn't realize that uh, so-and-so was uh, promoted because I kind of haven't kept in that close a, uh, touch with mm-hmm. her. And, oh, there really are a lot more people being promoted from within than I expected. And then finally make your point, but make it in a... Uh, not too detailed manner. Mm-hmm. You know that I think you remind me of a story that Clayton Christensen tells. Mm-hmm. He's the Harvard uh, Harvard professor and uh, author of The Innovator's Dilemma and he was um about how why you need to to a certain point extent let people make their own come to their own conclusion mm-hmm. because they mm-hmm. they then it be, they own it more than if you just sort of yes. forced the point down yes. on them and he was at um Intel explaining that he'd been brought in to explain his main model behind the innovator's dilemma. And the Intel people were like, you know, uh, we had a schedule change and you only have 10 minutes of our time right now instead of the two hours that we had originally allotted you. So just tell us your model and and let us go. And he insisted, he said, I I can't do that. I got to tell you, I got to just share a case study with you. And he shared one case study from a completely different industry uh, actually, he, he shared the model very briefly, then, which was kind of making the point. And then he told the story, which is this case mm-hmm. study. And when he got to the end, they said, oh, I get it. The implication for Intel is such and such. And they went in to put and use that model and put it into to progress. So uh, it wasn't even that specific to them because he was just sharing the, the story about a completely different industry. But they made it their own um, by yeah. hearing that. Actually, making it your own is part of the the power of the story, because when we hear a story, we put ourselves into that seat, into the driver's seat of the story. When someone's telling it to us, it's almost like it's happening to us, right? Our brains are are mirroring the other person who's telling you the story. So then later, how that gets, interacts then with your memory is it suddenly sort of becomes your story where it actually did happen to you. And so I don't, especially um, in emotionally charged events, I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you've heard a story that, that somebody's told and later, or maybe you've told somebody a story and later you overhear somebody telling your story <laughs> as if it had happened to them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't believe how that's <laughs> happened to me. And then I, wait, that's it. How was it you? That was me. And I almost, and then you almost forget, wait, was that me? Because you realize that your brain is playing a trick on you. It takes ownership of that story. So a really good story becomes one that everybody owns and everybody owns together in their own, in their own special way. So that's what, that's the ideal state you want. You know, and, and in business, you want people stealing your stories because that means that they've gotten your idea. They bought in to what you're trying to tell them. Mm-hmm. And the, 
information that you shared earlier about the MRI scans and people's showing how people's brains light up when they're the listening audience. They hear the story and they're actually their brains are lighting up in the same way that the the storyteller's brain is lighting up. And as you said, that's that shows that their brain's awake and they're engaged. It's interesting though that I've read that that information too and and how that's actually firing those mirror neurons or empathy neurons. And so what the, the end result is that people are not just thinking the same thing that the storyteller is thinking. Maybe that's kind of obvious, but they're actually feeling the same things. And so they're much more likely to support whatever your point was or whatever um, influence you're trying to have. They're actually much more open-minded as a result of the fact that they've got these empathy neurons actually firing in their brains. Definitely. And that's really the key of this whole discussion, Jesse, is that the story opens the mind. It's not necessarily enough to change the mind. It's not enough to change your whole your whole company or implement your strategy if you just have a good story. But it's enough to open people's minds to get them there. Without it, without the good story, um, the minds are closed. You have to think that it's closed and closed for business until you can tell them a story. Well, Amanda, we're about out of time for this episode, and we've been talking a lot about the why, why storytelling for leaders is such an important tool. Um, And we haven't yet scratched the surface uh, much on how to accomplish that. And I would love to invite you back on the show sometime soon to get into the how. And specifically, I know you have uh, four storytelling frameworks to lead change that we can talk about. So can we, we, are you willing to come back on sometime soon? That would be great. Thanks, Jesse. Well, before we wrap up, though, there is this big question of how, and there's a lot of leaders who may be convinced, okay, I I should use storytelling as a tool to lead change. Um, Where do I get started? You offer a workshop about storytelling for leaders, don't you? Can you tell us about that? I do. There's uh, the workshop that I offer is called Storytelling for Leaders, and it was developed by a couple of world-renowned business storytelling experts from Australia. And um, it's just they've been working around the world for the last ten years, and they've developed this program. And um, I'm now uh, uh, one of the first people in the U.S. to be able to deliver it to companies. So what happens is, is that companies come to me looking for a tool, and how do we actually make uh, storytelling useful to our to our our, our teams, but and also put in a framework and a way that is appropriate for business because there's plenty of people talking about storytelling and there's plenty of people coaching and teaching storytelling, but oftentimes they either aren't telling stories. They just talk about it in theory. They also sometimes don't have enough backup um, and framework and concreteness to what they're teaching. So the program that I have, uh, Storytelling for Leaders, is incredibly concrete. And it's a program where the people that I work with and coach through um, during the one-day workshop take what they've learned and immediately are able to put it back to work. Um, But they also are supported through the program for another six months with additional learning modules. So they are prompted to continue practicing the skills because nobody changes in one day. That's what we've been talking about this this last 20 minutes is you can't just make, assume somebody's going to make all the changes that you need them to make in one day. So uh, the program is wonderful because it incorporates that concept. And for the next six months, you're continuing to be supported in this learning process. And it's, um, it's a fantastic program. We get feedback all the time. People telling us that they uh, that they got what they wanted. They they were able to to convince a leader of uh, of something that they were previously unable to. I just got a call last week from um, a, a student, a former workshop attendee um, in Atlanta, and Aaron called to tell me that he'd been trying to tell his CFO, um, convince his CFO to support a program, and the CFO was adamantly against it. And during our workshop, I 
we worked through some of the story patterns and I coached him through it and he presented again to the CFO and he's now bought in wow. this purpose going forward. So those kinds of things are, um, are the difference between telling a story and not telling a story and being able to make your point. Uh, so the workshop, um, is available to, um, be brought into companies. I also occasionally offer it as a public workshop. Um, and so if you go to my website, connectedstrategygroup.com, connected with an ED on the end, strategygroup.com, um, you can find the link to the workshops and uh, also how to bring it into your company if you're interested or even do private coaching because that's another way uh, executives oftentimes appreciate having this information delivered to them is to just one-on-one tackle it and work together on the challenges that they're dealing with right now. Fantastic. And we'll provide that link as well as Amanda's other contact information on our show notes for this episode. Amanda Marco, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thanks, Jesse. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. You can find the show notes and the links that we mentioned on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 102 as in episode 102. And while you're on the show notes page, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts or questions in the comments section or by clicking the red send voicemail button. You can also engage with us at facebook.com forward slash engaging leader or on Twitter where I am at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.